Before we start the show this week, I want to bring in our CEO, Jessica Lesson, who is going to fill us in on the upcoming summit that is happening next week. So Jessica, take it away. We're just a few days away now from our second annual WTF event. Uh, It stands for Women in Tech, Media and Finance. And we're so excited to be sitting down with women like Cheryl Sandberg, Laureen Powell-Jobs, Emily Weiss, Linda Yaccarino, um, a surprise guest, and many others as we have about two days of one-on-one interviews, sort of group breakouts, networking, a little virtual Pilates thrown in. So um, we're we're incredibly excited about it. And uh, for anyone who's curious, wants to learn more, thinking about joining, just head to theinformation.com and you'll find all the info there. It was only a few weeks ago that I, on this very podcast, told you the story of Zhang Yiming, the CEO of ByteDance. But this was a story with politics, international intrigue, international relations, there were big names, big companies, and all this was over a lip-syncing meme machine app. So would you believe me, listener, if I said that since then it has all gotten weirder? As I record this episode right now, Friday morning, no deal has been reached to sell off TikTok's assets, either the US or its other businesses. But then China threw a giant wrench in the works because they announced that on their banned export list uh, now includes artificial intelligence. So that means that if an American company acquires TikTok, what they won't be getting is its AI-powered algorithm, which is kind of the secret sauce to TikTok's success. Except maybe it isn't. Uh, It depends who you talk to. Um, So all of this is a lot to take in and make sense of. And on this episode, I brought on Jessica, uh, our editor-in-chief, who has been hard at it with us to try to keep up on the latest, uh, and she's going to fill us in on the latest. Then in the second part, Corey is talking to Kate, our venture capital and startups reporter, about Stripe. That's the payment company started by Irishmen John and Patrick Collison. Uh, They are also becoming a force in the investing world and often edging out established VC firms to get in on deals. Uh, They're interesting guys. But first, once more unto the breach, dear friends, once more. Actually, who am I kidding? We'll probably talk about TikTok at least like 10 more times on this podcast. It's so hard talking about TikTok these days because literally you've got to check your phone, you know, with sources or the news to see what the latest is. But no deal has been uh, announced yet. And it seems like it's come down to this kind of joint bid between uh, Walmart, Microsoft or Oracle. Uh, sort of safe to say that at this point, that's where we're at right now. Yeah, it's safe as it is to say anything. I mean, I, I think those appear to be the two main parties vying to buy the U.S. business. I think what's changed now is, you know, is there even going to be a sale of the U.S. business? So uh, the, the situation is moving um, quite fluidly. So regardless of what happens, though, what's really ratcheted up the drama was that last week, China uh, announced that they were banning exports, essentially, of, of artificial intelligence that was on their list of goods that was not able to be exported out of the country. And that significantly changed the dynamics and calculus within this deal, right? I mean, what, what, was, what was going on there with China kind of throwing this into the mix? It's really, I mean, you, you can't make this stuff up in some regard, right? We were, the, the sort of sense was we were a day or so away from ByteDance um, announcing who had, who had won this process. Bids had been submitted. And then the Chinese government sort of 
slaps this, oh, wait, you can't export AI technology. You must think very carefully. And, uh, you know, what, what they're really talking about in this case is the algorithm that recommends what videos you see on TikTok. And it's worth emphasizing that, that this is key to TikTok. Unlike Facebook or other social platforms where you pick who you follow, the magic of TikTok is his ability to kind of recommend and surface continuously this content. And so what I think the Chinese government did here is, is they just massively complicated everything. You know, the from our reporting, the bidders are sort of sitting there waiting to hear what's going on, you know, still waiting at, at this point. And, um, you know, ByteDance is really thinking through its options. It, it also, in addition to just, you know, essentially the Chinese government saying not so fast, um, I think it does raise questions though. You know, what does it mean to export AI technology? What does it right. mean to export an algorithm? You know, um, so I, I think there's a whole other set of issues it opens up that I'm sort of curious about as well. Yeah. I mean, when you buy TikTok, if you don't get the algorithm, is the company is the company that much less valuable? Are you really getting kind of a, a far less useful product if the algorithm is taken out of the equation and you just have, you know, the app and its user base? It kind of comes down to sort of what you're talking about with an algorithm. You know, most of the ways these services work, it's not like there's one magic formula hidden in a black box under lock and key. You know, the what you see, whether it's newsfeed and Facebook or here with TikTok, right, is is these systems that are constantly learning, constantly drawing on new inputs. You know, it's not as easily bottled up um, as one equation. And so I think the idea would be that someone who purchased uh, TikTok or, you know, parts of TikTok's business would, you know, over time kind of using the data, learn and sort of hone their own recommendation as well. I think that would be a key part of what someone else would do. Now, what that transition period looks like and what technology they're taking from TikTok or not, you know, I guess that's kind of what's in play here. But it's much more of a gray area than, you know, handing over a formula. How much has this saga changed the dynamics between U.S. and Chinese tech companies. I mean, we've been writing about this forever and you've been covering it for longer than the information has, has been around. Like there's been this what seemed like a huge opportunity for U.S. tech companies to open up in, in China. Almost none of them have made it work. Now here we have TikTok, which is really the first consumer Chinese tech company that's gotten a major foothold in the U.S. And now it got all messed up like what where do things move on from here? Like, can this relationship ever be repaired? It's a low point for sure. You know, if you talk to our, our team in Hong Kong, you know, who've been through many cycles of this, they are really struck by what I, what I think they call this massive uncoupling or decoupling of the U.S. and China ecosystems. And you see President Trump essentially saying, you know, that the U.S. market is not open for business for certain kinds of Chinese services like TikTok, like WeChat, um, Tencent's messaging app. And I think, you know, the shoe that I want to watch now is what's going to happen with the investment ecosystems, because those are still pretty interconnected. ByteDance's biggest investors are U.S. investors. Are we going to see a pullback in that? I Frankly, I, I can't imagine how we wouldn't to some degree. I was going to ask, are they, I mean, do you feel, do you get the sense that they're feeling burned by this whole thing? Like here we have 
American investors that made a killing on ByteDance because it's gotten so valuable, thinking like, this is, why would we even go near this in the future? I think they're pissed, to be honest. I think they're thinking, you know, we our capital helped build this company. You know, we've created this value. And if the U.S. government, by forcing a sale um, and perhaps a fire sale, is essentially just shrinking the value of their asset, you know, that's not fair to us. I mean, I think that's the vibe I get from some of that reporting. And we can't forget that, that TikTok overall, you know, it's been kicked out of India, its largest market. It's on the cusp of being kicked out of the U.S., you know, the most potentially lucrative market. And it's really the rocket ship inside ByteDance as well. So I think investors are are quite, quite nervous. Yeah. And we wrote a story earlier this week about ByteDance and what this whole episode means for the company because they've kind of had a a pretty good run of successful apps within China uh, that's helped build up the value of the company. Like TikTok is just a small piece of that. Like, uh, sounds like they're kind of struggling for, for what's next. And like, you know, if they're a hit-based business, they don't know if they necessarily have another trick up their sleeve. Is is that kind of the state of things within the company? John Yuming, the CEO and founder, is very interested in things like online education and learning. Great businesses don't have that kind of hockey stick growth curve that social media and, and sort of communications does. So it occupies a massive position still in China, you know, up there in the leagues of with Alibaba and Tencent in terms of, of its influence over um, Chinese consumers' lives. But I think you can't count them out. But but they also face massive competition in China. Kuaishou is nipping at their heels. And, um, you know, it, it's a tough road. So I think they probably want to get through this to be able to focus on that. And for like the t- TikTok competitors in the U.S., obviously Snap and, and, and Facebook and their collection of apps. Is all of this good news for them? I mean, I think on some level, when one of your competitors is so mired in controversy and drama, like it gives you a little bit of an opening. Um, I do think that the companies are not thrilled with the uh, precedent that, you know, political leaders are just going to ban apps from their country. I mean, I think they're nervous about that. But you know, we saw an aggressive launch of his Instagram reels in the middle of all of this. And, you know, when you've got your competitors distracted, it, it creates opportunities. Yeah. I mean, last thing on this, I just keep coming back to this point. And I mean, as someone who's covered tech for longer than me, have you seen anything like this before? I mean, did this, does this blow your mind as much as it does me? Like how public this is being played out, how many characters are involved and just how messy it's all gotten? It is unique. I mean, I think in M&A and in transactions, you often see really big personalities and a lot of twists and turns. I, I covered um, Microsoft's attempt to buy Yahoo many years ago, which had many side characters. To add, you know, the the U.S. and Chinese governments, though, on top of that, just really throws curveballs and everything and a a lot of uncertainty. And, you know, you have to remember that it's not like the companies involved are getting crystal clear answers from the government either on what they're looking for. You know, the, the main actors in this drama are sometimes in the dark as much as we are um, as, as watching it. So um, very hard to kind of see where it lands. But I think, you know, as we talked about, we don't want to lose sight of the significance here. And, um, you know, it's certainly fascinating to watch. 
Yeah, well, I mean, there's no question that even if some of the things we talked about right now end up being out of date, what I know is that this will keep unfolding. There will be no concrete resolution to this. The TikTok story will keep rolling. All right, Jessica, thank you so much for joining. Uh, have you back soon. Thanks, Tom. The decade-long success story of two Irish brothers, Patrick and John Collison, has been well-documented. They started the digital payments company Stripe, and like a lot of startups, enrolled in Y Combinator in 2009. As years went on, their software helped more businesses accept payments online as e-commerce boomed. They ended up raising $2 billion in venture capital, most recently at a valuation of $36 billion. But a lesser known part of their story is that Stripe and the Collison brothers have become venture capitalists themselves, using their strong reputations and Silicon Valley influence to invest in hot startups. My colleague Kate Clark published that story this week for the information, and she's joining me now to discuss it. Hey, Kate. Hey, thanks for having me. So uh, why do you get interested in this story? I mean, you cover venture capital, obviously. Um, you know, sort of what piqued your interest? Yeah, so I actually started on this story in March. And I, I think the reason I got interested was because Stripe was sort of talking to some of the companies in the Y Combinator batch that finished up in March. Um, and I think I had heard from some VCs that Stripe was sort of sniffing around at these companies and, and maybe doing a couple of deals. The same week that I was sort of tying up loose ends on some of the Stripe reporting, we were put into sheltered place and I kind of pivoted overnight. Fast forward like six months later, I once again started hearing the same thing. Stripe was leading a deal or you know competing with say like a firm like Sequoia or General Catalyst on a deal. Um, and I figured, you know, I should really revisit some of that reporting because it's still, I think, interesting. And lucky for me, no one else tried to do the story. I'm curious, um, is it unique for a company like Stripe to be getting involved in startup investments themselves? I think we've seen increasingly private companies from Airbnb to Stripe to SoFi to Coinbase um, making investments in startups as a way to, you know, either get an early look at competition, potentially identify acquisition targets, or in you know the case of Stripe, which I do think is a little more unique, to actually make money through these investments. Um, so no, I wouldn't say that it's uh, you know an incredibly unheard of occurrence. Um, I think that it's something that's becoming more and more in trend. Typically though, you see corporations invest in startups. Google and Salesforce are the two that I use as an example, and corporate venture capital is, is absolutely uh, you know, mainstream, nothing new, but companies doing it before going public is, is more rare. Right. I feel like this is just another, uh, you know, sort of sign that the private markets, the late stage private markets are, are just so mature now. Like mm -hmm. the, these are essentially public companies. Yeah. I mean, it's a 10 year old company. It's not a young company. It's not, it's not truly a startup aside from the fact that it's still private um and like you mentioned they raised two billion dollars we don't know uh stripes financials but you know from what people people have definitely speculated that they have you know multiple billions uh, in revenue this company has plenty of money so it makes sense that they want to invest this money in opportunities that they think will grow and expand over the next several years so who are a few of the startups that they're investing in? So there are two different groups of companies that Stripe seems to be striking deals with. One group of those is companies led by their own former employees. One of those that I wrote about is called Accord, 
like the PayPal mafia, which is often referenced in Silicon Valley, there are a lot of former Stripe employees who have decided to leave the company because they want to start their own thing. So that's one group. And then you have, on the other side, fintech startups that may be competitive with Stripe. Maybe Stripe wants um, you know, Intel into these companies. Maybe it's acquisition target. But either way, they are looking to reap returns from these investments. Right. And Stripe's reputation um, is tied, you know, pretty directly to the reputation of the the Collison brothers, the two co-founders. Um, mm-hmm. Patrick, in particular, you know, has has you know he has really sort of built on this reputation that he has as not only a successful founder but also kind of a trendsetter, kind of uh, and and also kind of an intellectual. What has made you know, sort of his backing so attractive or Stripe's backing so attractive to, to other founders. So like you said, Patrick Collison is, is somewhat idolized in Silicon Valley, you know, and then Stripe is an incredibly successful company. They're the fourth most valued private company in the world and I think second in the U.S. So if you do team up with them, you may have access to that, you may have access to Patrick, and you may have access to one of their millions of customers, which is incredible for an early stage startup. Now, are there any challenges associated with a company like Stripe getting involved in a kind of corporate venture, uh, particularly as a, as a private company? What are the hurdles? What are the challenges? I think the challenge down the line could be for Stripe to separate itself and to not confuse the brand. I mean, right now they're known as a pay- payments behemoth. Down the line, if they really do scale up their venture efforts, it could be somewhat confusing. And I think that's why Alphabet has, you know, put in so much work towards sort of branding all the different units within the company. And I think down the line, that would be something Stripe would have to consider. Yeah, I think it kind of creates, you know, some amount of risk. Uh, this Just from the companies that I observe most closely, you know, being Airbnb, um, you know, definitely spread money around, particularly in the last couple of years, around different sorts of travel startups um, that they took, usually minority stakes in. And, you know, some of those startups, such as uh, Oyo, an Indian hotel company, Zeus Living, you know, a, a sort of apartment hotel, corporate housing sort of company, all went through really significant layoffs. Um, Zeus had a pretty significant down round. Lyric, another startup that Airbnb invested in, uh, sort of really has struggled. Airbnb is sort of tied to that name. It can kind of have a, a negative reflection on sort of the corporate brand, I think, if it's, if it's you know, sort of not separated out. So I agree with you. I think that'll be an interesting sort of next step for Stripe, you know, to sort of cut off some of the risk here. Right. And it could be several years before we see them do that. And I mean, I think another issue too, just to end that thought is, is Patrick Colson, you know, is only one person. And I don't think that those startups are expecting much of their time, but it, you know, it, there may be some that do, and it will be difficult, I think, for them to sort of not spread themselves too thin. Totally. Well, Kate, great story. Thanks so much for, for joining us. Thanks. All right, that's today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. As always, special thanks to Ariel Markowitz for producing, Jessica Lesson, Corey Weinberg, and Kate Clark for appearing. And on next week's episode, we have a very special 411, a tribute to the true heroes across the world these days. And speaking, of course, about those who have gone back to the movie theaters. I had to do it for my boy Christopher Nolan, really. I mean, just had to be done. We're heading back to the movies at the 411. Hope you will join. It's going to be a great episode. Have a good Labor Day weekend. 